everyone. This is Kate. Welcome back to another episode of the Omnichannel Marketer. I'm excited to have Yanis Varlas here on the show today. Yanis is the founder and CEO of Olira, the first ever organic and nutritious breakfast biscuits. Hi, Yanis. How are you? Hello, Kate. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm super excited to tell your story. So, you know, why don't you start there? Tell us a little bit about your background, your personal story. Sure. So actually, my my story begins five generations ago. My family owns a flour mill. So for five generations, we have been farming and milling grain. Currently, my mother is running the business. And our business, I'm sorry, I didn't share that. My, our business is located in Greece, in an area called Thraki, which has been well known since the ancient years for farming of grains. So I personally studied chemical engineering. So I went deeper into the science of formulation and nutrition. And basically, when I started working for our family business, my goal was to try and bridge these two. So how can we use our knowledge and our heritage along with my scientific background to bring something new to the market? And we realized that there was a whole new category, the breakfast biscuits category created by Belvita. And there was nothing there as a good for you breakfast biscuit. So we are working with our farmers here in Greece, where I'm currently at actually, to farm our grains, four grains actually, that were the the foundation of ancient Greek's diet. Then we are stone milling these grains, our family businesses, to in order to keep the full nutritional attributes of these proprietary grains. And we're producing our uh, family of products of breakfast biscuits. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's our story, I think. Okay, and so tell me a little bit more about where the brand is today. So. <laughs> The whole idea generation, when I saw the aha moment for me, it was like seven years ago when I saw the big opportunity on the breakfast biscuits and I had the idea of creating the first good for you breakfast biscuit with these four ancient grains. And it took me two years to actually bring these products to life. So the product development phase was long and I thought that this was the most difficult phase, which was not. Obviously, bringing the product to market is, is more difficult. And then beginning of 2018, so five years ago, I flew all the way from Greece to the United States to try and figure out how can we actually bring our products in front of customers. And fast forward today, so 2018, which was our first year, just to give you an idea, I was going around trying to sell our products in independent stores. And so our, our back then, our, my main channel, my main focus was retailers and initial independent stores. But then soon I realized that this was not scalable. So we had to go after larger grocery chains and we started expanding in that channel. So in 2018, we did 200K by and this was actually bootstrapping. I was mainly in New York. And since then, we have been growing both our distribution as well as our number of SKUs. So we're very, we're super excited that since 2018, we have been doubling both our, our, our sales as well as our, our units sold. So from 200K in 2018, then we did 400K, 800K. Two years ago, we did 2 million. And in 2022, we did a bit more than 4 million in terms of gross revenues. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. I'm sure if I answered your initial question. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay. So you started in independent retailers as, yep. you know, why did you start there? Yeah. So when I, I saw initially that the biggest markets were, if we can segment it bigger picture, obviously there are a lot of channels, but if we can see the bigger picture, it's either physical marketplaces or online. So I understand that physical marketplaces have uh, more barriers to entry. It's way more difficult to get into stores, but customers, but if you manage to get in, then customers have purchase intent. So to me, it was on the other side, on the online world, there are very low barriers to entry. You can create your own D2C extremely easily. You can go on Amazon and sell your products, it's something which has barely any kind of barrier to entry, but you need to create traffic and you need to create awareness that will actually convert into sales. My background is more technical side, product development as, as a chemical engineer. So I, I didn't feel comfortable on how can we leverage all these different channels to create traffic online and create sales. So to me, it was chaotic. It was so many different social media and so many different uh, tactics. And I decided to begin with a channel that to me, it seemed more understandable. And obviously I had no idea on that market. It seemed understandable. And I learned obviously throughout these years from all the mistakes that we've done. So are you in, you know, are you selling through Amazon or direct to consumer now? Yes. Yes. 75% of our sales are, are in retail stores, but 25% are, are online in between out of which 15% is Amazon and the rest are our D2C along with a couple of other smaller online marketplaces. And so now that you are this omni-channel brand, you know, one, how did you think about launching in D2C given you started retail first? You know, how did you think about that and, you know, how did you do it? So obviously every channel is connected in a way. So we focused on our retail channel, but we had to have an online marketplace that obviously relates to who we are and what we have been doing. So we haven't been investing in brand awareness because that's something that I didn't feel comfortable with and I still don't. But we have invested in having a platform, our D2C, where once customers go into our D2C, then we try to give them the best customer service. And what's customer service for us? First of all, we, have, we offer to each customer to communicate directly with us through text marketing. So it's really easy to text either order or or ask anything. And then the second aspect that we're offering compared to Amazon, which is actually something that we just added, is a custom bundle. So instead of ordering six packs, you can order uh, you can order any you can order different number of boxes per flavor. As well as I'm trying the third one, I forgot the third one. And the third one is which is also really important for us, is a trial box. So its customer can get into our, our website and try our products for free, pay only $4.99 for the shipping cost, which is actually more currently, but we're also getting our, our hands into our pockets for, for that as well, because we see the customers that try our products, then obviously they come back and repurchase our products. Mm -hmm. So does that trial box become a, just a, a customer acquisition tool to for them to try? Yes. 
Yes, yes, it is a customer acquisition tool. But sorry, so I didn't your, I didn't conclude on your initial question on how we operate between the channels. So what we have seen, so we focused on retail, but we built a website that gives benefits to our customers and that converts. We didn't invest in, in brand awareness, but customers find us in retail locations and a lot of the times they go online and look for us. So our D2C has been growing without, and we have not been investing besides the trial kit in anything else. It's exactly because of word of mouth that comes from the retail channel. And what, um, what are some of the retailers that you're in now? So we have some great retail partners. Publix is one of the first great retailers that we partnered. Obviously, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, along with many other retailers. Great. Well, that's fantastic retail distribution. How do you how do you think about being successful at retail? What can you do as a brand to make yourself successful? So in order to be successful in retail, you need to have at least one item that performs on the top 25% of the whole category. That's really the, the main driving force. If you have that, then you can use this and bring more items to the shelf. But that's the main key element to, to create success. And so, you know, other than just having a really good product, what are the other elements, you know, supporting that like being top 25%? At the end, in order to be on the top 25%, it's you're competing with so many different products. So there are different, there are a lot of tools that you can either promote your product or create awareness around it. But even if you do like bogos all the time or invest a ton amount of dollars in in-store signage or influencer marketing, at the end, it's the product that will sell. So yeah. you need, what's critical is to be very, very, very open. That's where we entrepreneurs usually make the biggest mistake is that we love our product so much that we are not willing to do any compromises or changes. So my one of the main learnings that I have is that you need to do a lot of trials and errors till you identify which product is is killing it in retail and then start building from, from that. And that's very difficult how to do these trials. <laughs> so you mentioned like going through and kind of building retail that you made a lot of mistakes. Could you tell us about one of those mistakes and what you do differently next time? Yes. I already mentioned it. It was our, our initial products were performing well, but they were not on the top 25%. So this is not scalable in order to actually kill it in order to become a brand that will be there and manage to be a successful brand in retail, you need to have that point. So that was one of our main mistakes. Obviously, something that is, is also really critical is having the right unit economics right from the beginning. Now we have a lot of brands talking about it due to the inflation, but this is something that a couple of years ago, no one was talking about it, but it was as critical and as important as, as it is today. I don't know why people just realized that it was always important because it makes a huge difference. Forget about profitability. The main difference comes on working capital. So it's not about the bottom line, but it's about the capital needed to grow. And so how like, how do you manage your cash flow and the working capital? Because CPG is a really capital intensive business. So this is something that I hear, you know, how do you manage that? 
and especially for us since we are vertically integrated. So being vertically integrated has a lot of advantages and disadvantages. It's super, super complicated, but it gave us a very big advantage during the pandemic because we controlled every step of the supply chain. So we didn't have out of stocks. However, and we also control our unit economics. That's that's really critical as well. So we know all the pillars that build up are our cogs. So we have fairly good cogs, but we have a very fairly good gross margin, but we have a very which is critical as I mentioned, but we have a very long cash cycle because we have to stock the ingredients, produce the product, ship it to the US, keep inventory, which is very difficult. So on that aspect, we have to work with our suppliers, with other suppliers of our ingredients to get some credit, but still it's very difficult to do so. That makes sense. And is a a challenge that I hear from a lot of CPG founders and entrepreneurs. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, you spoke about how you're like, in multiple different channels, but that all of those channels are connected in a way. What are the ways that you as a brand like think about connecting or bridging that end-to-end omni-channel experience for your customers? So every channel, as I mentioned, are they're connected. And let me actually see, let me actually share how I see channel from our perspective. So yeah. it's for us, it's grocery retail, it's club, it's food service. And for us, food service is corporate offices, it's universities and travel. And then it's our own D2C and other online marketplaces, including Amazon. So I would say something that we need to better work on and focus more is geographic concentric circles. So try and create awareness through different channels in certain geographic areas. If you're going to go in the... Um, For example, if you're going to do focus on your paid advertisement online, do this in parallel with where you have Costco distribution, for example. Don't do it just broadly where your customers might be online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you know, part of the approach is, you know, be thoughtful about the geographic distribution of where your retailers are so that, you know, the awareness that you're driving is going, like they'll be able to find you in those respective, those respective channels. Are you doing anything on the social media side? Very few things. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you have to do what's kind of, you know, authentic to you as a brand. And, you know, that might not be the, the area of focus. You, I mean, being a founder is all about focus and there's only so many things that you could dedicate <laughs> that focus too. Giannis, when we first met, you were telling me about a story, Expo West, where, you know, a mentor of yours, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, could you, you share that story? I thought that was a really good one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so these are the small coincidences of life that are really critical. And so we were at Expo East. It was exactly after the pandemic, the first show after the pandemic. So it was extremely, extremely so slow. Very few people were working around the show. Very few booths were actually there. So I I listened to many podcasts of the industry, and one journalist that is host in this uh, in one of these podcasts came by our booth. So I told him, John, I hear one of your podcasts, and I really want you to meet me, Charles Karsten, who's the CEO of Lesser Evil. I've heard so many podcasts of yours, but this guy is is an incredible guy. And he was like, are you kidding me? This is Charles. He was, uh-huh. that moment, he was, he was at our booth. So I was like, oh my God, you're Charles. That's incredible. And 
Charles was so honest, but also so genuine as well. He said, give me a few samples and let's walk to my booth and I'm going to give around samples. And if our people like your products, then I'm going to help you in any way I can. So he brings product with him. We go to his booth. I was so stressed to see what the outcome would be. And the moment that we, we arrived at his booth, a couple of his, his team members started without trying the product, asked if I'm Yanis from Moria because they like so much our products and they are already customers of our products. So oh. <laughs> it was two coincidences actually that brought me in touch with, with Charles, who's an incredible guy and he has helped me a lot navigating myself into this industry. Amazing. That's such a great story. I love that one. Okay. Going to shift into our lightning round here and, you know, all right. So just, you know, give me quick answers here on some of your favorite things. Favorite omni-channel brand? The Only Bin. I really love The Only Bin because they are an omni-channel brand, which is very similar stage than we are, but very complementary channels. So they are more on Amazon and Costco and they want to grow on mm. other channels, whereas we are the exact opposite. So, All right, so you can share tips on how to you know, be the best in each of those. Family business as well. Brian and his wife are in the business. Great guys. I mean, great product. I mean, I, I yeah, I really look up to them. Love the that. only bean. The only bean. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know that brand. Yeah. Thing you wish you could change about our industry. Brokers. Favorite podcast. That's one I found out about this podcast recently and I really love it. It's the Diary of a CEO from uh, Stephen Bartlett. I don't know that one and I'm going to listen to it. That sounds great. <laughs> what is your favorite newsletter? Newsletter, I would say I follow several uh, newsletters from the industry. I would say Nosh. Nosh. I really like the newsletter from Nosh. Yeah. Favorite social media channel? I would say LinkedIn, but also I want to add on that. Slack is not a social media uh, platform, but there is a community within Slack called the Startup CPG Community, which has an incredible community uh, on Slack. And uh, I believe that anyone can learn a lot from this amazing group of people there. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Favorite book? I just started reading it. <laughs> it's actually from uh, Aristotle. It's, it's an ancient book written in the ancient years. It's called Ithica Nicomachia. <laughs> and it's about, it's philosophy, it's Greek philosophy. And then favorite event you're excited about going to this year? Expo West. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that one's an easy question. <laughs> Janice, where can people, uh, our listeners connect with you? On LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I'm easy to find. I'm not very active in terms of posting, but anyone can connect with me and I'd love to connect with anyone that we can share experiences. Perfect. Giannis, thank you so much. I really enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you, Kay. Thank you very much for having me. If you liked this podcast, follow me and The Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.